Well, today I wanna start a two-part series in the book of Ephesians titled Walking Together in Unity. But I've got some good news and some not so good news. Now, the good news is that by the end of this two-part series, uh, we're gonna walk away encouraged in our walk with the Lord, but also encouraged in our unity as a church. Now, the not so good news is that you won't hear part two until the middle of July when I have my next opportunity uh, to teach. And so Pastor Mike will be back next week. Uh, we look forward to jumping back into the book of 1 John, but um, until then, you got me, and I'm excited to be here with you today. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter four. In this passage that we're gonna be in today, um, it deals with walking together in unity. Walking together in unity. Now that word unity can be defined as the state of being unified or joined as a whole. And one of the things that I think about when I hear that definition of unity is a sports team. How many of you have a sports team that you love? Slip your hand up, okay. So you guys know this, sports teams have the same jersey, right? They have the same team colors, same coaches, same, same game plan, same goal of, of winning. I think sports teams are a great picture of unity. But unity can also be defined as a thing forming a complex whole. So not only is unity uh, something that forms a whole or, or being united together, it is a thing forming a complex whole. And you know what I think of when I hear that definition of unity? What do you guys think? The church, yes, the church. The church is a thing forming a complex whole. Think about it for a second. And just look around the room. We come from very diverse backgrounds, don't we? And so whether it's ethnic, socioeconomic, uh, educational, familial, we are a very diverse people. Not only that, but we have different opinions and presuppositions about things, don't we, church? Whether it be politics or the economy, we're, we're just different on some things. We're also different when it comes to our interests. If you know me well, you know that I like to ride mountain bikes and, and uh, I like to shoot guns. Maybe for you, you're into cooking or scrapbooking or something like that, but we're, we're a very diverse people and yet we come together, we unite together in Christ to make up this living, breathing, active, sort of complex thing called the church. And what we're gonna learn through this series is that even though we are complex because of our diversity, the Lord has created unity in our diversity and he has a game plan for us to maintain that unity. Now here's your big idea for the series. It is that our unity is a spiritual reality and our responsibility is to walk in it. Ladies and gentlemen, our unity is a spiritual reality. It was ordained by the Father purchased by the Son and implemented into our lives by the Holy Spirit. But this reality is something that we must walk in, meaning this reality must be nurtured. It must be protected. It must be preserved. 
and maintain. And so what I wanna do this morning is just sort of deepen our understanding of this together by going through Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six. Are you there? So let's jump in. Paul begins this portion of his letter to the church at Ephesus with the phrase, I therefore. I therefore. And as the old saying goes, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's it therefore? Paul is obviously making some sort of transition, right? And so what's it therefore? Well, if you survey the book of Ephesians, what you'll find is that Paul uh, writes the first three chapters about doctrine, okay, or what we believe. And then he writes chapters four through six about duty or how we should behave, all right? So chapters one through three, doctrine. Chapters four through six, duty. And Paul says, in this transition, I therefore, in other words, in light of everything I just said, in chapters one through three, I want you to do some things. I want you to know some things. Right? He says, he says, I therefore, or in, in, in light of, of everything that I just wrote in chapters one through three, which by the way, is that we have been chosen, adopted, and redeemed. That we are joint heirs with Christ, sealed by the Spirit, and regenerated. That we are not only raised with Christ, but we're seated with Christ in heaven. That we're near to God and that we have peace with God and that we're citizens of heaven and we're a part of this beautiful thing called the church. Paul goes, I therefore, in light of all of that, I urge you, church, meaning this is really important for you to understand. This isn't something you can just glaze over. This isn't something that you can be passive about or ignore or maybe get to later. No, I urge you, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, that Greek word for worthy is axios, and it refers to balancing the scales. Now, balancing scales, as you see pictured here, were used in ancient times as a method for measuring the weight of one item in correspondence to the standard of weight of another. Now, in the context of Ephesians 4.1, Paul uses axios to refer to balancing the scales between the doctrine that we say we believe and our behavior. In other words, Paul is urging us to make sure that the lives that we live are of equal weight to the doctrine that we believe. That if biblical doctrine is the standard, and how many of you know that it is, but if biblical doctrine is the standard, that our lives should measure up to it. He's saying, hey, this is urgent. This is really, really important. Look, in light of everything that I just said, in light of all of your spiritual blessings and riches in Christ, namely your unity, in light of all of that, I want you to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. And here's how you're gonna do it, Paul says. Look at verse two. He says you're gonna do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now here, Paul lists what I like to call the attitudes for unity. Attitudes for unity. And if you're taking notes, here's your first major point. And it is that if we are going to 
balance the scales between doctrine and duty, if we're gonna walk together in unity as we are called, we've gotta have the right attitudes for unity. We've gotta have the right attitudes for unity. And the first attitude that Paul deals with is humility. Now, this whole idea of humility would have been countercultural in Paul's day. Uh, humility was considered to be a weakness. Everybody during that time went after things like position and pride and prestige, right? Those were the more sought after qualities, and so this was a little bit countercultural. But how many of you know that we cannot please God without humility? As James 4, 6 tells us, God opposes the proud, right? But he shows favor to the humble. You see, humility is a foundational virtue of our faith. And, and what Paul shows us here is that it's absolutely necessary, not just to please God, but for us to walk together in unity. Now, if you're here today and you struggle with humility, I wanna show you how to get it. And what I would say to you is that humility requires honest self-awareness and proper God-awareness. In other words, to get humility, we need to have an honest view of ourselves. But we also need to have a proper view of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says it this way. It says that we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from who? Church family. From God, right? What Paul is showing us here in Corinthians is that, that, that look, we need, to, we, we need to have this proper, uh, um, um, healthy self-awareness, the proper God-awareness, right? And that is to say that I am not adequate in and of myself, that, that I am not good or strong or able or smart enough in and of myself, but it is God who is. God is the one who's good and strong and smart in and through me. Get, do, you, do you understand? I am not adequate. God is adequate. That is an honest self-awareness and a proper God awareness. It's a recipe for humility. And Paul says, look, if you're gonna get this right, if you're gonna walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, you're going to have to have humility. Then he goes on and he says this. You're also gonna have to have gentleness. You're also gonna have to have gentleness. Now, that word gentleness is synonymous with the word meekness and is often misunderstood as weakness. What I would tell you, though, this morning is that meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. Take a horse, for example. A horse is a beautiful, powerful beast. But if that horse is left unbroken, we know that it's gonna be out of control, dangerous, and can cause a lot of harm. I should also mention that unbroken horses are very prideful. Have you ever seen these things? They trot around, bucking and neighing, like out of control, like look at me, I'm big and bad, right? But how many of you know that once that horse is broken by its master, it becomes a gentle, loving giant. Now let me ask you this, did the horse lose its power when it was broken? No, its power simply came under control. And this is the kind of attitude that Paul says 
we need to have if we're gonna be able to walk together in unity. We need to come under control. Now, if you're struggling to be gentle in your life and you're, wonder, and you're wondering, how do I get gentleness? Well, what I would say to you this morning is get humility. Get humility. You see, gentleness is an action that flows from the attitude of humility. Think about it. If you could, in humility, learn to set aside your ego and place God's desires and the good of others before yourself, guess what? You will not be able to help but be gentle with others. It's just gonna flow from you naturally because gentleness is an action that flows from humility. Can I just be honest with you this morning? Some of you are here today and you are so full of pride. Some of you are here today and because you're so full of pride, you are losing control in your relationships. You're bucking against God, you're bucking against others, and you're causing disunity, maybe in your family, maybe in your church family, I don't know, but here's what I know that you need. You need your master, Jesus Christ, to break you. You need him to break you this morning. You need him to break you of that prideful attitude, why? So that you can become the gentle person that he's called you to be in order for you to walk in unity. And I say that with all the love in my heart, but I know somebody needed to hear that this morning. So Paul says, hey, this is urgent, you guys. In light of all of the beautiful doctrines that we believe, walk worthy of your calling. Get humility, get gentleness, and then he says this, get patience so that you can bear with one another in love. Now, patience can be defined as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Let me read that again. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting upset or angry. How many of you struggle with that this morning? My hand is gonna go up really high. This patience is hard, isn't it? It's really, really difficult. It's difficult in marriage. It's difficult if you have children. Parents, can I get an amen? <laughs> it's difficult in the workplace. It's difficult at church. The Greek word for uh, patience here is macrothumian. It carries the idea of suffering long. In his commentary on the book of Ephesians, R.C. Sproul says that the opposite of macrothumia, the opposite of suffering long, is a person with a hair-trigger temper who explodes in fury and rage and rejection at the slightest provocation. Now, I think that we all have certain landmines hidden beneath the surface, yes? We all have sensitive points where we are easily provoked. Some of you are here this morning and uh, you have maybe one or two landmines for every like 10 acres beneath the surface, right? You're probably really easy to get along with and hard to upset. I'm glad you're here. For others, you've got landmines every few feet, right? You're probably very sensitive, right? One cross look from your teenager from throwing hands, 
right? I'm glad you're here too. Here's what I know. No matter what your landmines look like, we are all susceptible to losing patience and not bearing with one another in love. Do you agree? Few amens there. How many of you know <clears throat> that you are one waffle fry order short in your Chick-fil-A order from losing patience with the drive-through workers and not bearing with them in love? Now is it making sense? How about this? You are one aggressive lane change from a snowbird on St. Lucie West from losing patience and laying on the horn, right? Hopefully you don't do that if you have one of our, our uh, stickers on, on your window. If you don't, that's between you and the Lord. But no, we all struggle with patience, don't we? And Paul says, but, but look, like th this is urgent. You're gonna need this if you're gonna walk together in unity. So how do I get patience? Well, I got two things for you this morning. And the first thing is, is that we gotta learn to get comfortable with, this, with discomfort. If we wanna have patience, if we wanna develop patience in our lives, we've gotta get comfortable with discomfort. Okay, let me explain. I believe that patience grows when we accept with thankfulness the troubles and the difficulties and the discomfort that comes our way. Okay, James 1, 2, and 3 says it this way, that we should count it all joy, right? That we should be thankful when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what, church family? Patience, right? We need to get comfortable with discomfort. We need to approach our discomfort with thankfulness, knowing that it cultivates in us patience. Not only that, but we need to learn to practice forgiveness and grace. We need to practice forgiveness and grace. And I think this is a big one for a lot of you this morning. I think a lot of you are harboring bitterness inside of you towards maybe your spouse or your kids or um, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe your parents, or you've got bitterness and you're really struggling to practice forgiveness and show people grace. Can I just tell you this morning that if you want to have patience in your life, you're gonna have to get this figured out. You're gonna have to learn to practice forgiveness and grace because patience grows when we forgive. Patience grows when we extend grace, Ephesians 4.32 says it this way, that we should be kind to one another, okay? That's the outworking of it, that the, right? Kindness, patience, like that's the outworking of it. We should be this way, forgiving one another, and here's the key, just as God and Christ forgave you. Can I just tell you this morning that when it comes to difficulties in my life, and when I mean difficulties, I mean like when an employee frustrates me, when one of my kids does something that irritates me. Um, I was gonna bring up my wife, but she doesn't do anything wrong. <laughs> but no, when, when, I, when, I, when I have relational conflict that necessitates forgiveness and grace, what I've learned to do in my life is to put into plain view the magnitude of God's patience and forgiveness and grace that he's given to me. 
Y'all, I'm the number one knucklehead, okay? My whole life, I have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single day of my life, I fall short. Every single day of my life, I do something that probably doesn't please God. But he just pours out love and mercy and grace. He's so patient with me. And so when I get into these situations with my kids or, 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 or you, a church family, man, I just go, okay, all right, before I react here, let me just remind myself of how patient God has been with me. And then that enables me to be patient with others. This is how patience grows. We gotta get comfortable with the discomfort and we gotta practice forgiveness in, and grace. And so Paul says, get humility, get gentleness, be patient and bear with one another in love. And then he shares the final attitude for unity and it is this, eagerness. Eagerness, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, that word eager carries the idea of going for something as if there's no possibility of failure. Now, this is how I feel every time I approach a big jump on the mountain bike trail, as if there's no possibility of failure. So I'll ride my bike towards that jump, and then as soon as I pull up to that jump, I bail out. Just being honest with you guys, I bail out every time. Look, my desire to live is greater than my desire to catch big air, all right? But no, when it comes to unity, what Paul is saying here is, look, we need to be eager for this. Like, our desire to maintain our unity should be greater than any other desire that would compromise it. And, And this is hard. This is very difficult. But here's the good news. This unity that Paul speaks of, it isn't something that you and I have to fabricate or come up with or try to create, right? What does the scripture say here? It says that the unity is of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's good news for us this morning. And why is it good news? Because it is the spirit of God who causes unity by binding us together or gluing us or cementing us together in peace. In other words, our unity is God-given. Now, our responsibility in this is simply to be eager for it, to endeavor to maintain it, to make every effort to sustain it. Now, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, okay, how do I grow in eagerness? Well, Paul is about to show us in verses four through six, but before we go there, I think it'd be appropriate for us to pause for a time of personal reflection. Because here's the thing, we've covered a lot so far. We've covered a lot so far. We've talked about a lot of challenging things. So far, we've talked about these attitudes for unity, humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing with one another and love, and and being eager uh, for unity. And I just think it'd be a good idea for us to pause for personal reflection and and to to think uh, um, um, for for ourselves, you know, am am I bringing into balance my doctrine and my duty here? And so in light of everything that we've covered so far, this 
you know, sense of urgency that Paul wants us to have, this, this idea of, 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 of axios, of, of, of bringing things into balance, this idea of walking together in unity with these attitudes of humility. I want you to ask yourself this morning, church family, number one, am I making every effort to walk in unity with other believers? Am I eager for this? Am I really making effort for this? Does this matter to me or do I find myself just giving up when things get challenging? Do I find myself sowing disunity when things get challenging? Think about it. The second question I want you to ask yourself is this. Am I being patient? Bearing with others in love when I don't like how things are going or how I'm being treated. Am I being patient? Think about it, are, are you patient with your spouse? Are you patient with your kids? Are you patient with your pastors? Your ministry leaders? People that you labor alongside in ministry? Are you, are you being patient with people? Here's the third question. Am I staying humble? And am I being gentle with others when there are disagreements, when there are trials, when there's conflict? Am I being humble and am I being gentle? These are great questions for us to ask to really evaluate whether or not things are in balance. Wouldn't you agree? Church family, if we are ever going to maintain our spiritual reality of unity, we're gonna have to have the right attitudes for it. Amen? Let's look at verses four through six. Paul goes on to say that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what Paul does here is he shifts away from talking about the attitudes necessary for unity. And he shows us now that there is a basis for our unity. If you're taking notes, here's your second major point, and that is that if we're going to walk together in unity, we're gonna not only have to have the right attitudes for unity, but we're gonna need to understand the basis of our unity. We're gonna need to understand the basis of our unity. There's a foundation for this. There's a theological basis for this, and Paul's gonna show it to us, and here's what he does. First, he says that there is one body. There is one body. This is, this is part of the basis of our unity. There's, there's one body. As Ephesians 1, and 23 says, uh, the church is one body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Now, we can look just in our community, and we can see many local congregations of believers uh, who, who are different from uh, one another in, in practice and in doctrine. But what you need to understand this morning, church, is that there is only one body, okay? And so across the globe, throughout all time, anyone and everyone who has placed their faith and their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior is part of the body of Christ. There is one body, one universal big C church, amen? Paul says this is the basis for, 
for your unity. Then he says this. He says there's one spirit. Corinthians 12, verse 13, and one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, doesn't matter. All were made to drink of one spirit. He says this is the basis of your unity. Third, we have one hope. And what is that hope? Christ's return. As Titus 2.13 says, we are waiting for our blessed hope. What is that? The appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul says this is the basis of our unity. Fourth, that we have one Lord. One Lord. Not many lords. Just one. And this, of course, is Jesus Christ, who is not just our Savior, but also our Lord One of my greatest pastoral concerns for the church is that a lot of people make Jesus Savior, but they don't make him Lord. They like the idea of being saved from hell, but they don't like the idea of turning over the keys to their life to the Lord. Some of you are here this morning and you said yes to Jesus as Savior, but I fear that you have not said yes to him as Lord. You're not taking up your cross daily and following him. I wanna challenge you this morning, if that's you, to repent of that sin and make Jesus Lord of your life this morning. Paul says we have one Lord, and this is the basis of our unity. Fifth, he says we have one faith. Here, Paul is not referring to the act of assurance and belief that we call faith. He's referring to the doctrines that form our belief. We have one faith. Sixth, we have one baptism. One baptism, a lot of people debate whether Paul is referring to water baptism or spirit baptism, which seals all believers in the faith. You know, so is it water baptism, spirit baptism? My answer is yes, okay? Yes, why? Because water baptism Uh, is an ordinance that symbolizes the inward sealing of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? One points to the other. We have one baptism. Seventh and finally, Paul says this, that we have one God and Father of all who is over all and, and through all and in all. Meaning this, that he is the God over all. He has absolutely, uh, he is absolutely sovereign over all of creation. He's through all He's in all, meaning he's both imminent and omnipresent. And Paul goes, look, you, please understand, you, you have, there's one body, there's one spirit, right? There's one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God. And Paul says, look, this is the basis of our unity, okay? Now, I don't want you to miss the full context, context of this powerful, powerful exhortation that Paul is giving us. Um, this morning. So what I wanna do is go back to verse one. So if you have a Bible, your Bible, go back to verse one, all right? Here's what I wanna do. I wanna read from verse one all the way through and just make some brief comments along the way so that you get this, that you fully get it. We've covered a lot. I don't want you to miss it. So here's, here, here it is, tied up, wrapped up, tied up with a bow so that you understand it. Paul says, I therefore, okay, in light of All of our spiritual riches in Christ, namely our unity as a church, I therefore urge you, okay, this is important, what? That you walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. 
I want you to bring into balance your doctrine and your duty. And here's how you're gonna do it. You're gonna do it with the attitudes for unity, right? With all humility and gentleness, with patience. And you're gonna bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And Paul goes, look, here's why you should be eager for this. Here's the basis for your unity. There is one body and one spirit. There is one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Paul goes, look, your oneness is a spiritual reality. Be eager to maintain it. Make every effort to maintain it. Go after it as if there's no chance that it's gonna fail because guess what, church? When all is said and done, it's not gonna fail. It's been ordained by God. It's been purchased by Jesus. The Spirit is implementing it. How could it fail, right? I think what the Lord wants us to understand this morning is that we possess unity. And that it is something that we are responsible to guard and to protect, to preserve by walking in it. And he's given us the game plan for how to do it. He showed us the attitudes that we need for it. And he's given us the understanding of the basis of it. And, and, and he's going, look, I urge you in this church. This is important. Would you walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called? Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, that's Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I'm gonna be back in July to take us through verses seven through 16. I'd love for you to read ahead. What we're gonna discover are, number one, the gifts that are necessary for unity. Okay, so not only are there attitudes necessary for unity and, 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 uh, and, and a basis for that unity, but what we're gonna discover is that there are gifts necessary for unity. And then the other thing we're gonna find out is the amazing growth that we can experience as a result of our uniqueness, our uniqueness. Really, really looking forward to that. Hope you are too. 